Welcome to SpaceX, the podcast where we explore the holistic, human-centered, and experience-driven economy. In every episode, we're going to explore different aspects of the employee and human experience. Join me, Ben Witter, for regular updates, insights, and ideas that can help accelerate our development and growth within the experience economy. And I think it's a time where there needs to be reflection about corporate role in societal change. And SHRM has an opportunity to be really leading edge in terms of stimulating that dialogue and has not shown up front and center and has not led in the way that it could and should have led. Welcome to Space Hex. My guest on this episode is Wendy Wolfock from the United States of America, which is a very interesting place to be right now if you're a HR professional. Uh, so I'm going to hand over to Wendy to introduce herself first. But first of all, welcome, Wendy. Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure and thanks for having me. Uh, we certainly find ourselves in very interesting times and uh, I look forward to our conversation today. Uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I have been in the HR space as an outlier for more than 15 years. And in 2016, uh, I decided to step away from being an employee and to launch my own company with a fundamental focus on organization health. Uh, I really am passionate about uh, all things leadership, uh, effectiveness, and employee experience. And I offer clients a refrain, which is that employees sell their labor, but they volunteer their commitment. We are not entitled to it, don't necessarily have access to it out the gate. And the way we do that is all housed in leadership effectiveness. How are leaders landing with people? I help organizations make sure they're fostering the right environment that leaders are showing up in healthy, effective ways, recognizing that influence, not position power, is the way to go. Absolutely. And you describe yourself as a HR outlier. What does that mean? Ah, I like the question. Uh, It means that, you know, I've always (laughs) rejected the notion of business as usual in HR. Unfortunately, HR gets uh, a lot of heat for being a little too traditionalist in its approach to work. Uh, and it's trying to buck. And I've, I came into the field wanting to buck the trend of transactional, status quo, business as usual, HR is gatekeeper, an HR practitioner is coming duck. And I believe that the 21st century HR practitioner is someone who is a student of human relations, uh, who can read a financial statement, who understands sector challenges, the competitive landscape, and human psychology, and can combine Mm. all of those to help organizations have healthy ecosystems so that the business goals and objectives can be realized. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, and... and Am I right in saying you're based in New York City as well? 
I am based in, I live in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm originally from South America. Okay. From uh, and I also mm -hmm. have, so I bring a global worldview, well-traveled. And so I bring that as well to my work, especially in multicultural environments. Yeah. And moving through, I mean, it's been interesting looking at your profile from, you know, HR journalist to consultant to HR manager to HR uh, director, um, you know, I, you, you face came to my attention, I think, on LinkedIn when we started to kind of dialogue about some of the issues and challenges that are facing the HR profession in, in America right now. So we've had social movements um, that seem to be kind of ongoing and uh, a very, very much extreme co-creation of, of a new form of society. And then we also have COVID-19, which has absolutely transformed a lot of organizations um, this year. What are your views on this? I mean, what role is HR playing? Is, it, is HR coming out of this, all these different challenges this year with a, a great reputation or other things that need to be addressed? I think that's a great question, Ben. And I think that HR is doing two things. It is trying to do good work. And it is also trying to and needing to find its footing. Uh, I think, unfortunately, the Society for Human Resource Management, which finds itself sort of at the apex for practitioners, has not shown up in a way that's helpful to these two critical bookends of our times, a health care crisis, the pandemic of COVID-19, and a social justice crisis uh, that really has seen sort of global reaction to the critical racism that surfaced in the United States, violent racism, uh, particularly affecting Black lives. And I think that HR has a really fantastic opportunity uh, to help organizations recognize the need for clear social justice values. And I think that the SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, in not really stepping to the foreground uh, and articulating clear values in support of uh, black and brown people and speaking out against the systemic injustice was exceedingly unhelpful. And, and I think it's a time where the reflection about corporate role in societal change. And SHRM has an opportunity to be really leading edge in terms of stimulating that dialogue and has not shown up front and center and has not led in the way that it could and should have led. Hmm. If it, if it was leading, what would it be doing, do you think? Uh, I think that's a good question. And I think, uh, for one, making a clear call uh, that, and I think the notion of Black lives mattering, that has become sort of sloganized and interpreted in a narrower way than the message, which is, and the, mas the message is, Black lives matter, should matter. All lives should matter. Black lives should matter and they don't because black people are being killed, are being slaughtered, uh, uh, face 
so many inequities in the corporate world and there's a cry and a shout for change in that realm and Sherm should have been leading that conversation uh should be addressing the pervasive nature of bias and discrimination and inequity in our institutions in the corporate world and society we saw it when the me too movement mushroomed and that became born out of protest against the bro culture and the way this looking the other way if someone had was a great contributor made a difference to the bottom line it was often ignore it and it will go away and we had these ndas and different things mm -hmm. but taking clear action standing on principle uh pushing for a call for a change for education for reimagining the workplace these are conversations that sherm should lead and taking a real clear stand and it has not done that instead right after george floyd was was killed sherm put out a statement about blue lives mattering meaning police lives and it was extraordinarily one sided there is no question that blue lives matter blue lives were not on the line black lives were on the line and we had this very public shameful painful taking of the life of a man who had been immobilized who was handcuffed and the world saw a police officer kneel on his neck restrict his carotid artery and have his life flow out of him after 8 minutes and 46 seconds mm -hmm. so i think no, you're just reflecting on that the way you described that is you know, it's, it's horrendous. It's, it's something that many people around the world are trying to comprehend. And they may see examples of this in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their countries. I mean, what, what needs to change, do you think? You know, the change, I think the issue of racism is compounded by, uh, in our case in the United States, uh, and I will speak very frankly and candidly, a failure of leadership mm. at the top, at the, at the top, uh, leadership in government, leadership at the presidential level. When we stoke divisive values, it doesn't help. In the wake of George Floyd's killing, a leader should have stepped up assured people that there will be an investigation and justice will be served and make a call for people to uh understand address right address and honor the the grief the trauma the pain the anger uh address and honor that and then have a clear call to action for peace and to allow the wheels of justice to work that would have because when something that traumatic happens people go into any number of reactions including amygdala hijack and so the brain's executive function is compromised because you're in fight flight freeze mode 
And leadership has to, one, have some recognition of the human impact on people and on people's emotions and really speak to that in a way to neutralize the anger, fear, trauma. That didn't happen. Instead, there was rhetoric that exacerbated the mood, the pain of the country. And I have said there is a scarlet stain of shame on the nation's soul because in the wake of just a public murder, we have not responded effectively, responsively, in a way that promotes and contributes to healing. And people will take these emotions into the workplace. We already have had, because of the global epidemic, the pandemic, people were struggling. There was already this equilibrium in the lives of people everywhere because home became work and people had to juggle parenting and homeschooling with being sequestered and not having freedom of movement, social activities, everything coming to a halt. So we were already in a very difficult place and that was exacerbated by the social justice issues and the rhetoric that did not help. Yeah, I find the whole thing uh, from an observational point of view, because obviously we're we're in the thick of perhaps many different challenges in different countries and, and there's different circumstances and different contexts. But the way things have really um, heightened now in terms of the anxiety across humanity, you know, the, the lowering of well-being, the uncertainty, all of these things that are really, um, you know, they're not leading to a thriving life, let's put it that way. I mean, what type of support should organizations should be considering to help people navigate these complex, sometimes complex social issues. Sometimes it's a case of taking actions in the right places and doing absolutely everything you said there. But there's going to be people falling in between the gaps here in terms of they're hearing all of this, they're getting anxious, they're getting confused, they're getting uncertain about things. They're seeing maybe sometimes a lack of leadership, not just from their government, but also within the organization. You know, there's been some serious delays from people talking about this and opening dialogue and channels for people to share and vent and, you know, co-create better solutions where possible. What What's the advice to organizations? How do they respond and support their employees and workforces in the best possible way from your perspective? Uh, that's a great question. And I think that organizations, indeed, there's an unprecedented call on leadership capability right now. Uh, I think the, mm. you mentioned anxiety. I think that's a, a very critical issue to address because it impacts the quality of work and output. And so I think helping its workforce with helping people with sense making of where we find ourselves, honoring their distress, making sure that there are avenues to help them cope with that. And then redirecting them to this work and utilizing their cap- their abilities, their gifts and their strengths, bringing people back to the work so that 
their creative juices are flowing. Let's re-engage in what we're doing here and why you joined the organization X or Y. Uh, so we have honored your anxiety. We've provided you some help and we want to help you pivot back to the work uh, as a way to disengage from the stress and anxiety and tension so that you're not harnessed by it and you can get some creative, uh, let's invest your creative capital. Let's redirect and focus on the work, hmm. on the work, which ends up being a powerful and helpful distraction from the stress. And it's a way then to re-engage people in doing what they do well as best they can within the virtualized workplace now. We are slowly re resuming work at brick and mortar in some cases. But I think harnessing hmm. people's desire to contribute and their skills uh, and continuing on the journey in a, what I call an altered normal, because it's not new, it is altered. Uh, and engaging people in, in the planning and the ideation in all of the work that it takes to continue to drive toward uh, service or product or whatever the valued offering is, that is the enterprise's focus. Yeah, I like that. The altered normal. That sounds better than the new normal. <laughs> <laughs> Are we yeah. seeing a altered HR at the at the end of this? Or I, just, I suppose there may not be an end for a while, but when we are back into the workplace, when a, you know, a semblance of normality is returned uh, to life, uh, do you think we'll see a, an altered HR? And, and if so, what kind of HR is, is that going to be? Uh, that's a great question. I do believe we need an altered HR. I think HR needs to think about one of the critical things is how do we help the workforce with the cognitive flexibility they need to be, that everyone needs to bring to work in an altered normal? I do not believe that there's any organization that is resuming work in a brick and mortar 100%. And I think we will, because the medical community is uncertain about when the pandemic will wane, I think for the foreseeable future, the world of work is just irreversibly changed. And I think that People will need help. Employees will need help with the cognitive flexibility to navigate all of these changes. Uh, many of my clients have talked about seeing a little bit of a regression because of the anxiety and the lack of the customary structure and frameworks within which people work. The notion that you head to a conference room on the seventh floor uh, all of the things that we've taken for granted when we are operating at a particular location, that won't exist anymore in large part. And so because people have lost the customary frameworks, it has brought some chaos. And so mm -hmm. helping people with the regression, performance regression in HR needs to help managers step out of the usual punitive approach to the performance ebbs and flows that will result from where we find ourselves. Uh, there are some people who are dealing with what psychologists call everyday fear anxiety. And this notion that 
you have to reconcile work and your personal obligations. The two now are almost indistinguishable in some way. And leaders have to manage with that awareness and have to help people get comfortable with and not worry about having to have a hard dividing line between work and their personal lives because the two became blurred when work moved to home. Experts are predicting a rise, a surge in mental health issues. All of these things will affect how people show up in, in, in the workplace and on teams moving forward. So I think that to your question, HR has to reposition itself uh, and really think about the changes in the employee of today. The post-pandemic employee has a heavier load, a different load, the post-pandemic workplace uh, as a consequence faces a different challenge, needs more flexibility, needs to be more accommodating, accommodating in ways it has not been called on to be. And one of the biggest challenges is that struggle with cognitive flexibility. And how do we make sure that we help people uh, climb over that? Yeah. See, it's, it's very interesting. I, I, I see in my work, so we work with people that want to really move and transform into more like experience architects. So it's, it's really firmly positioning the human element of human resources and and actually discarding resources, but it's focused on the human beings, human centricity, and a deep commitment to developing positive experiences in and beyond work uh, for large global organizations. And sometimes these are operating at massive scale. And some of them now are actually stopping um, HR functions. They're actually moving to something that is more experience driven, that is more focused on the human and the holistic experience of work around them. So I wonder what your thoughts on that is in that, you know, I was talking today to several HR colleagues and there's starting to be a, a little bit of momentum now gathering around this idea that we need to move to something radically different in order to serve humanity and be a positive force for humanity within our organizations. And purpose is a big part of that, which connects to your work. But what are your thoughts on that? Is it time for a different type of internal function to support, architect, create, co-create these experiences with our workforces? I don't want to put you on uh, the spot, but uh, let's have a look at that question. <laughs> sure. You know, when we think about what gets called these black swan events, right? These signature events, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, and so on and so forth, uh, the dot-com bubble being one of them and so on. And now this global pandemic that brought uh, the entire world of work globally all to a virtual halt. Hmm. Uh, these events and this one being so unusual in that there was global impact definitely calls for a re-examining of these structures and uh, and how we design, and, and what should HR's role be, and what do we even call it? But I, I'm less concerned with what we call it than with how it functions um, and how it helps organizations position themselves. Uh, for one thing, making sure that leaders understand that clarity should flow top down 
and initiative should flow bottom up. And how do you help organizations with the right design and with uh, building in resilience and with centralizing coordination and distributing control so that people are owners of the domains of work. And again, because we have the stressors, the amygdala hijack, compromise the cognitive flexibility, we have got to be creative about how we do things like distribute control in organizations in a new way. So I think HR needs to come to the table facilitating, uh, participating in a different conversation about organizational design and structure for one thing. Even the notion of organization structure, uh, culture rather, all of that takes on a different form when it's not happening at a particular location in a building in a certain part of the city. Now we are looking at a distributed workforce, a dispersed and distributed workforce. And so mm. what then does that mean for culture as we know it? Because culture has relied on people being a collective in a particular place to do the work. And we've had geographical difference, but we, we've still had teams located. Your team in Germany works at your office in Germany. Your team in Boston, Massachusetts work at your, works there and so on and so forth. And now they're going to be distributed. So the face and the composition of organizations are changing. And these are conversations HR needs to be ready to help steward and help with the ideation and the planning and redesign. And then the idea of supporting this new culture, this hybrid workforce is what we will have, really. Hmm. Okay, change of pace now then. So to talk directly about purpose. So moving beyond HR into the, the organization and maybe the connection that organizations have with society at large. Purpose has become massively um, important on the corporate agenda, especially across corporate America with uh, the business roundtable announcement and statement uh, last year. Uh, just for the, our audience, 181 CEOs of some of the biggest brands in the world um, are now saying that they should be putting... Uh, purpose and people uh, before profit, you know, serving all stakeholders, uh, not just shareholders. So with that kind of rhetoric and with these public and very grand announcements and you know, magazine coverage and whatnot, on the ground in America, is that proving to be the case? Are businesses standing up and saying, this is our purpose, it's not just fancy marketing, we're now living our purpose, or are we seeing other things? What's happening over there? You know, I think, I think we need to turn back to this whole notion of purpose and why uh, uh, of the existence of the organization. Why is it doing what it's doing? Why is it in the sector it's operating in? Uh, I think the idea of turning back to purpose as a driving force 
for leaders, it is about articulating and re-articulating compelling intent. Why mm. have we for, why are we on teams in this organization doing the work we're doing? Uh, and what can we lift from that that is energizing, uh, that gets us really recommitted within this altered normal, recommitted to showing up uh, in new, driven, focused ways to continue to do extraordinary work with some fresh challenges. Excellent. So, so that's happening, is it? Uh I would not say that it is happening. I think it needs to happen. I think some entities are have begun to do that, but I think many need to one recognize that that's where we have to find ourselves, and then begin to do that mm. to articulate the compelling intent and to march forward from there. Yeah. So moving from the the fancy marketing into you know, you, you feel it, you know it, you see it, you experience it every day as a part of your work experience and, and life in general. And that's fascinating, the, the idea of purpose and how powerful it can be within our companies. I mean, what would you what would you say to maybe a HR professional who, who really kind of feels this? They want to install that purpose into the employee experience and the organization, but Maybe there's some resistance there. Maybe there's some managers or some peers uh, who uh, well, they don't really see it. They don't. They don't want to um, connect people in a way that's very, very strong and robust to the purpose of, of the organisation. Is there anything that the HR professional can do in those circumstances to encourage a more purposeful business? Yeah, I think one of the things that the HR can do is to really remind everyone to think outcomes. And mm. what best serves outcomes? So the outcomes for Microsoft, uh, market share, preserving reputation, uh, brand perception of brand value, brand messaging, brand congruence, all those things. But everything, those outcomes depend on people. And it depends on having the right people and having those people execute well. And how do we do that? If we dismiss, if we scoff at the notion that having people recommit to a very clear purpose, redefining that purpose and so on is important. So if we bring people's focus back to outcomes, I think that that's a great place for HR leaders and, and, and uh, practitioners to focus. Because when you think outcomes, you recognize that the dots are interconnected and the outcomes are market share, financial performance, brand perception, brand value, and all those things. Those boxes remain unchecked if you don't have the right engaged employees who, in many cases, are willing to give discretionary effort. And how do you harness their discretionary effort? Leading in human-centered ways, which means that you are not dismissing this notion of purpose being central to uh, getting them in lockstep with the vision and doing the work, the hard work and contributing in ways that are meaningful for the enterprise. So focus on outcomes. Excellent. Focus on outcomes. 
Yeah, I, re I really like that. And I think that's the language that we need to see within HR. You know, the, the focus on outcomes, uh, all of those great things that you mentioned, as opposed to um, a fixation with um, traditional HR metrics. I think that's great. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining us in this um, dialogue and conversation that we've had. I think it's been fascinating in terms of, you know, where HR is heading to, um, you know, some of the deficiencies of the current HR organization or the, the HR model, uh, you know, the integration of purpose into our brands, into our companies, into our organizations, and how we can facilitate that. So I think our audience have taken quite a, quite a lot of insights there. Ben, I'd like to say one more thing. I'd like to encourage every HR professional to take individual and personal responsibility for personal disruption. Fresh lenses, rethink how you think about work, how you think about HR, how you think about employee engagement and support and service delivery, really if each person takes individual responsibility for individual disruption and for showing up different, that's a significant fraction of the battle won. It's a whole Absolutely. new paradigm. Disruption. Paradigm. It is. It is indeed. Disruption to elevate the experience of work. I like it. Thank you very much, Wendy. Well, thank you, Ben. Great to chat with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on.